following program is sponsored by the National Prayer Chapel. Done. 
Jesus who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven who died shall be satisfied and earth and heaven be the heart of our Father, the heart of our Father. Mighty God, I ask tonight that your heart could be revealed. I ask that you lift us out of our tiredness, out of our grumbling, out of our despair, and I ask that you bring us into your heart. Thank you, Jesus. Let your anointing be in this house. Thank you, mighty God. I pray in your name. Amen. The story of Abraham being tested is one of the most terrifying of all scriptures. It's found in the 22nd chapter of the book of Genesis. It's terrifying, first of all, to come to that realization that God tests us. It's terrifying, second, to consider the possibility that we have failed his test. But the testing of Abraham is really not about Abraham. It could just as easily be sometime later, the father was tested. Because this is really about the testing of God more than it is the testing of Abraham. Abraham is merely the type or the shadow that looks forward to the testing of the Father. It's of interest to me to note the very beginning of this story He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Now you have to understand the power of those words by looking back at the story in Genesis, the very first chapters, where Adam and Eve listen to the serpent and accept the fruit offered from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And now God comes as is his customary habit, walking in the cool of the day. And he calls out, Adam. And they're hiding in the bushes. They're ashamed. 
And when they do answer, it's from that place of hiddenness. What glory that God could call to Abraham at this point in his life, and he's not hiding in the bushes. He's right out front. There's no bitterness in his heart about how God has dealt with him in the past. He's right up front, ready to respond. He does not respond with a grumbling heart. He doesn't respond with the look of a whipped German shepherd, cowering with his tail between his legs. No, he's right up front because he has learned that in spite of all of God's testing, the heart of God is a heart of love and compassion and mercy. And so he responds, here I am. And then God said, take your son. Now just to make sure that we understand what he's talking about. He says, your only son. God does not consider Ishmael at this point to be Abraham's son because he was a son of the flesh. And so when God comes to us to test us, it is not with regard to the things we have produced in the flesh. The real testings of God are about things that have come to us in the Spirit. Your only son. Laughter. So in other words, God is now going to test him on the only thing that has brought Abraham laughter in his life. He is going to test Abraham on that point of absolute, pure, unadulterated joy. He's going to test him at the most painful place. Surely Jesus Christ was the absolute joy of the Father's heart. Perfect, without sin, without blemish, unmarked, innocent, righteous, pure beyond anything we can comprehend. It's right at this point that the Father's heart is tested. Oh, I'm so eager for us to be able to move beyond this mentality that says, the Christian faith is about me, about mine. Everything has to be about what I'm feeling and what I'm thinking and what I'm doing. None of this is about us. It's all about the Father and the Son. They made a covenant before the foundation of the earth that they would redeem lost mankind. And now all of the universe is watching to see if the Father will pass the test. Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. He does not say, take him and trade him for something useful or worthwhile. I mean, we're all utilitarians, right? We don't want to do it if it's not going to profit us. We want some money out of the deal, thank you. I mean, 
Why go to work if they're not going to pay me? Why expend the energy if I don't have a reward coming back? I mean, how many times have you heard the kids say, what do I get if I make the bed? No, it's not what you get, it's what you miss. You miss a spanking. How about that? Well, no, we don't like to think about that. We like to think about, what am I going to get? That's not God's heart. God is not in this for what he can get. He's in this for what he can give. That's the heart of God. And Satan said, that's not true. God is in this for what he can get. You push him to the ultimate edge, and God is just like I am. You can't trust what God says. He's running a game on you. Watch. See if you'll really sacrifice Jesus. I don't think Satan thought it would happen. And then I think when it did happen, he said, now I've got him, I'll hold him. It's over, God. We've got to look at all the players. Now I want you to watch as we go through this story tonight that Isaac is almost a secondary figure in this story. Isaac is basically obedient and passive. Wasn't that what the scriptures described Jesus as being? A lamb of God coming to the slaughter without any sound? No mumbling, no grumbling, coming and voluntarily laying down on that cross. And so Jesus in this account, as he's pictured by Isaac, is not the major character. Now, for us, Jesus is absolutely the major character. It's his blood that set me free. It's his blood that bought my righteousness. It's in... No. Let's look at the whole picture. In this story, we get to see the Father's heart. We get to see what God the Father went through, how he felt about all this. And his heart was broken. It was utter agony. Some of you kids need to be thinking about your daddy's heart. Never forget my dad using a razor strap on me. I think it's the only time I saw him cry. As he was whipping me, the tears were flowing down his face. It only hurt me on the backside. But it broke his heart. Or picture Pastor Jan as a little girl sitting in church and Mama says, be quiet. And she answers back in a loud voice, no, I won't. And Daddy swoops her up on the front row of church and carries her kicking and objecting all the way out of the sanctuary in a hot summer day and the windows are all open. And the congregation hears, and they all say, boy, is Janice getting it. And the cries, she's being murdered. 
While in truth, dad is slapping his leg. And he's taking the blows that Janice deserves. Oh, consider carefully your daddy's heart. Consider carefully your father's heart and what he goes through to carry you through. So let's follow the storyline. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. That's not what I expected. I expected him to think about God's command for a few weeks. Is this really God? Did God really say I was supposed... Isn't that what Satan said? Did God really say you should not eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil? But there is none of this in Abraham's heart. He saddles his donkey. He is on his way. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. It's of interest to me in this story that the type meets the anatype. There were two crucified with Jesus. His cross was made of wood. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, Stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. This is the first time the word worship is used in the Scriptures. Now you need to understand what the word worship means. We've usually said it's giving worth. And that's true, it's worth-ship. But let's be more specific. The literal meaning of the Hebrew word used here for worship means to utterly, completely depress. To push down. To push down. In other words, Abraham is saying, I will utterly, with my son, be pushed down to the ground. We will bow. We will stretch out on the ground before the Almighty God because He is so awesome and so great. We will worship Him. We will not shake our fist at Him. We will not rebel against Him. We will lay on the ground before Him. And we will worship Him. And then we, not I, we will come back to you. What was going on in Abraham's mind that he could possibly imagine that they would be coming back together? After all, he had the knife, he had the fire, and it was his, and it was his absolute intention to burn his son on that altar of fire. 
So what was he thinking? I want to just read quickly for you the passage in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. By faith, Abraham, verse 17, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. And so if you look at the hidden part, how could this father make this journey to the mountain of God to offer his son as a burnt offering because he knew God had the power to resurrect him? Now, there are times when God asks us to endure suffering. When God asks us to walk in humble obedience before him, and we're sure that if we do that, we will be destroyed. After all, usually when we obey the Lord God of heaven, there is not a reward involved. We don't get forgiving. We give because the Father said give. We give because the Holy Spirit prompted. We endure suffering because the Holy Spirit calls us to endure that suffering because that's part of what he needs to do to work out the righteousness of Jesus in our lives. He reasoned. If the Lord God has me offer my son, he can resurrect him. Our reasoning, if God asks me to take this step of obedience, I'm going to take this step of obedience, even though it means total ruin. I will take this step of obedience. Some of you face that with your tithes and your offerings. Here are the list of bills. Here's the little check. Will I give back to the Lord first what is His, or will I pay my list of bills and what's left I'll think about? Oh, and we have these excuses. We say, my family needs money. This needs money. That needs money. No. Will I simply obey the word of the Lord even though it looks like I'll be wiped out. I can't tell you how many times the word of the Lord has come to me, and I've been forced to step into that word. We just did that with radio. I mean, anyone in their right mind would not have taken this step into national radio at this time. We had enough money that we could safely carry for a long period of time, wave us. Why do we want to do national radio? There's no benefit for us. There's no money in it for us. There's no prestige in it for us. There's no recognition in it for us. Why go out there when we have a mission station right here in the nation's capital? I can tell you why, because God said so. That's the only reason. God said go. We, we prayed about it. We all came into agreement. We said yes, let's go. 
Well, do you understand what that means? We have a very short window now in which we operate. The security blanket is no longer present. Now we're on the edge. Well, when we started all of this, we had one month worth of radio money. But that was when we were young and foolish. Now God doesn't expect us to operate by faith. He expects us to operate like business people. No. Step out. Proclaim my gospel. And oh, I can't tell you some of the awesome responses we're getting. Some of the awesome responses we're getting are dead silence. Do you know how much I'm enjoying dead silence? You know why? Because it says that people are absolutely trying to ignore this word. And some of you, do you remember how mad you got? How mad you got? Some of you, it took several months. Some of you, it took a year. You were mad. Well, there are a lot of mad people tonight. And I'm praising God for every one of them. And the broadcast we did today is the sharpest broadcast we have ever produced. I mean, it uncovers darkness. It chews down the mountain by the power of the Holy Ghost. Not by us, by the Holy Spirit. When we were finished with the broadcast, Jan said to me, Ray, are you trying to make them mad? I said, no, I'm trying to convert them. I want them to either be mad or be converted. I don't want them to be able to just walk away passively. I praise God for every angry person. They're on their way to conversion and salvation. Now, some of the other responses that we're getting, a dear brother called. He said, Pastor, call me. I have to talk to you. So I called him back. I didn't know what he was going to say. He said, Pastor, I'm 67 years old. I'm a student of revival. Never have I heard anything like this. I've only read about it. Thank you. Revival's coming. I said, thank you, Jesus. Other responses. People saying, for the first time, I understand. I can really be made righteous by faith. I never understood that before. I've always thought it was either by the law or it would come someday, but I couldn't have it now. What a glorious truth. And they're rejoicing. Do you understand the freedom that comes into a man or woman's heart when they finally understand they no longer have to walk in the bitterness of their worldly flesh. They can be transformed as a gift of grace, not something they earn, but something Jesus is willing to do for them now. What glorious freedom in Jesus Christ. That's what's being proclaimed day by day. And so Abraham 
he has this conversation with his son. Verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father must have pierced his heart. Already I'm sure he's having to begin to distance himself emotionally from what he's about to do. Do you understand the darkness that came on the earth when Jesus was crucified? The father couldn't bear to look. It broke his heart. We stripped him, put him on a cross, shamed him. The father put his hand over him and said, don't scorn my son. His heart was broken. Yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and the wood, they're here. But where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. To understand that the lamb for your salvation did not come from your flock. The lamb for your salvation did not come out of your pocketbook. Didn't come out of your works. The lamb that took away our sin was brought to us by the Father. God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering. You see, Abraham was going to take his son to offer as a burnt offering. And as he lifted that knife above Abraham, the father was going to send a message and say, no, don't take your son's life. And he was going to be released. And then over in the thicket, there was going to be a ram caught. And then Abraham would take that ram and he would offer that ram as a burnt offering. But when Jesus Christ was offered on Calvary's tree, there was no substitute for the Father's Son. The Father's Son went all the way and was laid in a tomb for you and me. He bound his son Isaac, and Isaac allowed him to bind him. He voluntarily laid on that altar. Jesus Christ did not fight the cross. He voluntarily laid down on that cross. He laid on top of that wood where he was nailed to that tree. And the Father in heaven took that knife and took his son's life. But Abraham heard, do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. There are two kinds of fear. We fear God because we walk in disobedience and we're fearful of his judgments upon our life. And his judgments can be very severe. And it's well that we have that kind of fear of Almighty God. 
The Lord gives us that kind of fear to try to prevent us from possibly stepping into disobedience and walking in the flesh. But my brother and sister, there is another kind of fear. It's a fear that looks at the awesome love of God and the most terrifying thing to our heart would be to withhold from the hand of God anything. Where we would fear God. Not because we're afraid of Him, but because our hearts are in so love with Him that we would not withhold from His hand any part of our heart even if giving what He's asked us would destroy us, we give it to Him anyway, knowing that He can resurrect us from the dead. The German shepherd who's been whipped too much has his tail between his legs because he's afraid of another beating. That's not the kind of fear of God we're called to have. That's instructive for the flesh. And sometimes the flesh needs a beating. And God administers it faithfully. But the kind of fear that's being spoken of here is that fear, recognizing the awesome majesty of God, recognizing the awesome love and compassion of the Father. And we say, we will not withhold anything from you, Father. We give it all to you. You may have my life. You may have my all. I put it in your hands. It doesn't matter what it costs me. It's yours. Now this kind of fear, the devil has no comprehension of. Because he's always refused to walk in it. It's this fear that lifts the heart of man, that ennobles his character. The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time. Verse 15. I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. It does not say because you have been declared righteous. It does not say because you have positional righteousness. It doesn't say because you have imputed righteousness. It says because you obeyed me. Now this brings us to a very delicate point. I obey God because I fear God. 
I obey God because I fear God, not like a German shepherd who's been whipped. But because in my heart I see the compassion and love of the Father, because he was willing to pay the ultimate price and give me the atoning blood of Jesus Christ, cover my sin and to lift me out of that depths of despair and brokenness. And because of his willingness to give me the gift of love and compassion beyond anything I've ever experienced from anyone else in all of my life, because he paid the ultimate price, because he was tested on Mount Calvary and he came through, because of that, I will entrust all that I am into his hand. I will obey him. We still tend to think of ourselves as little gods. And we have our little kingdom that we rule over. It may only be a few centimeters of space, but we have our kingdom. And we're defensive for our kingdom. We're defensive for our ideas. We're defensive for our rights. We're defensive for what we're going to get out of this. As long as we maintain our kingdom, we will not obey the word of the Lord to our heart. As long as we maintain our kingdom, we will not obey the word of the Lord to our heart. And what the Lord wants to do in each of our lives is come to us and say, please give that to me. And when we give our consent, he purges it and he breaks it and it's finished. When we say no, he has to bring us around to that same test all over again. Some of us have been going in circles for too many years. Never allowing God to purge and break that wickedness of having our own kingdom. Saying, Lord, if you want me, you can have me. But over in the far side of heaven, you're going to have to deed me some land because I'm going to set up my own kingdom. No. He's not going to do it. He's not going to deed me territory in heaven where I can set up my throne and rule over my little kingdom. It will either be the throne of the Almighty God or it will be the lake of fire. You must choose. Some of you he's dealing with regarding your money. Will you be faithful in your tithes? Will you be faithful in your offerings? Will you be faithful in the way you purchase things for your house? For some of you to deny yourself is a strange concept. If you do not deny yourself with money, you cannot walk with the Lord God of heaven. Oh, some of you are willing to deny yourself for a business. Make great sacrifices for a, a business. Some of you are willing to sacrifice yourself for Walmart. Willing to make great sacrifices for Walmart. Because it's such a good deal. Some of you are willing to sacrifice yourself for your children. Some of you are willing to sacrifice yourself for your ideas. 
some of you are willing to sacrifice yourself for your rightness. The question is, are you willing to deny yourself and sacrifice yourself for Jesus Christ? All of these things I've described are kingdoms. They're strongholds. And the Lord God of heaven comes and he looks at that stronghold and he says, would you give that to me? And if we'll put it in his hand, he'll purge it. He'll break it. He'll release us. He'll set us free. There is no kingdom that the blood of Jesus Christ cannot overcome. The blood of Jesus has absolute authority and power. That's what the word says. But now follow me. The Lord God of heaven never comes to us and asks first for the ultimate sacrifice. He always hits the easy ones first. And the deeper and the further you walk in this with Jesus Christ, the closer you're coming to the ultimate sacrifice. For each of us, that ultimate sacrifice is going to look a little different. But you can quickly identify it because it will be identified by your life. Always the question for the ultimate sacrifice is, will you lay your life down on that altar of burnt offering? Your physical, your emotional, your spiritual Will you lay your life down on that altar of burnt offering? He doesn't come there first. He deals with money, he deals with entertainment, he deals with dress, he deals with arguing with mom and dad, he, he deals with all of these things. But they're all incidentals compared to the final ultimate test. That's when he finally says, okay. I've been revealing to you my glory. I've been revealing to you my mercy and my kindness. I've been showing you that you're safe with me. You've had the advantage of all of this time walking with me. You've heard my word proclaimed to your heart. Now let's get down to the bottom of the matter. Will you give up ownership of your life? Will you move out and will you let me move in? One time in the ministry, I lived in a house in Tacoma Park. And back behind us, a woman lived who would throw rotten eggs at my kids. And if I would go out, she'd throw them at me. She was the gnarliest, nastiest, hardest person to get along with I've ever met in my life. And I finally resorted one day to grabbing the hose and going after her and dousing her with water. Shouldn't have done it. It was sin. But it was very satisfying to see her scurry. This was after months of running from her egg throwing. 
This was after a month of washing down the side of our house where the rotten eggs were stinking. Did you know you have that lady living inside of you? That lady's living inside. She's gnarly. She's nasty. And there's only one way to deal with her. Put her under the blood of Jesus. When you put the blood of Jesus on her, she's going to melt away right before your eyes. It's the ultimate test. Will you move out of your life? And will you give Jesus Christ your life? Now, tonight we've been talking about Abraham, but we really haven't been talking about Abraham. We've been talking about the Father in heaven. He has a heart as big as an ocean. His compassion and his love know absolutely no bounds. There's nothing crooked about him. Nothing dishonest or unclean about him. And he looked at you and me. And he said, son, let's make a compact. Let's make a covenant. Let's save our precious sons and daughters of Adam. And his son said, you're right, father. I'll lay on that cross. Which paid the greater price, the father or the son? I think the father paid the greater price. Because he, he knew his son was innocent. He knew his son was dying for sin he had not committed. You understand, Jesus died for all of the sin that has ever been committed, ever, or ever will be committed. Jesus died for the sins of men and women who will go to hell. He died to give us an opportunity to respond to the Father's love and pass the ultimate test and say, even as Jesus laid down on that cross, I lay my life down on that same cross. And I want my flesh to be crucified just like Jesus was crucified. Now, some of you understand when I say this gnarly person living inside of you because it's been flowing out of your life against your husband or your wife or your kids. It's been flowing out in the way you've been dealing with other people. It's time for that person to go on the cross. There's nothing attractive about her. There's nothing redeeming about her. There's nothing worthwhile about her. She has to die. the Lord speaking to your heart tonight? You see the Father's anguish? What wondrous, wondrous love. The testings of God 
are the steps we take toward the cross. So finally that flesh is crucified. Holy Spirit, would you bring this fellowship through? Every person in this house tonight, I trust into your hand to crucify. To accomplish this work. Thank you, Jesus. Be glorified tonight in this house, Jesus. Be glorified in my life. Be glorified in my brothers and sisters. I ask that you would show us, each one in our heart, your great compassion and love for us. I ask that you would lift us up and carry us all the way home. Thank you, Jesus. I pray in your holy name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us today. You've been listening to Pilgrim's Progress, brought to you by the National Prayer Chapel in Woodbridge, Virginia. Write to us at the National Prayer Chapel, Post Office Box 2346, Woodbridge, Virginia, 22195. Or visit us online at nationalprayerchapel.com. God bless you. We love you. Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand I am tired, I am weak I am lone Through the storm my hand precious Lord and lead me
Take my hand. 